This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Howdy, howdy. Welcome back to another episode of the Missouri Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Per the usual, with me today is Jamie Farmer, field agronomist, and of course myself is Abby Korf, territory manager with Pioneer here on the western side of Missouri. But today we've got a special guest in Wyatt Miller. Wyatt is a field agronomist for Pioneer in the north central to northeast part of Missouri. So excited to have him join us, hear a little bit of his expertise, and get some insight from him. So to go ahead and get things kicked off here, what's going on in your neck of the woods, Jamie? Yeah, so for us here in west central Missouri, you know, we've got things cranking along. Crop looks better than it's looked in in several years. Corn-wise, we're pretty much done. There's a little replant here or there from some heavy rainfalls, some small creek bottoms, but other than that, we're cranking along. Uh, Most of the post apps are, are wrapping up on that. We're looking at that earliest corn coming up on the doorstep of V12. A lot of that stuff's V9, V10 in that mid to late April. And uh, so you're thinking about like the growth stage cutoff stuff we talked about. That stuff we're, we're moving right on past and just out across the countryside trying to manage our in-season applications from a fertility standpoint and uh, going from that knee high to above our head here in, in really the next two weeks. On the bean side, just a little bit of bean planting left on the first planting, some replant, nothing anywhere close to levels we've had in recent years. So all in all, things look pretty good, just uh, getting pretty darn hot uh, this week, and the forecast next week looks pretty hot too. Definitely a bit warm for uh, my taste, and I think the crops as well. So looking for some rain in the forecast, I could tell you that for sure. On your side of the state, what are things looking like over there, Wyatt? Yeah, so we're pretty similar to you guys on the west Um you know, our corn is probably anywhere from V12 to, to V1. We had a lot later planting window uh, with some of our guys further to the east. So the majority of the corn looks pretty good. You know, we had some, some small pockets of some replant, but really what's up does look pretty good. It's going that rapid growth phase now and, and really starting to take off. Um, some guys are thinking about some nitrogen because it's getting to that time of year. But I really, we're, we're pretty pleased with how things look, and we're going to keep moving forward. Absolutely. So thinking about uh, this week, what is top of mind for the two of you? I guess just to start from, I think really the whole state is just a high heat. So something that we were kind of talking about here before we even started the podcast is just what that temperature is going to do out there for us. Uh, Obviously, like White mentioned, we got a lot of this stuff moving into periods of rapid growth, you know, as you think about as we get later in those vegetative windows and we're, we're pushing our way towards tassel you'll see that corn go from knee high to above your head in basically a two-week period so really high nutrient uptake window uh, water use really ratchets up uh, during that time too compared to what we were like earlier in the season and then when you couple that with with high heat and high winds especially you'll really notice some differences out there in the field. And I think just something that just some of the calls I've been getting just this past week based on the heat, seeing pockets and places and fields where corn's rolling, you know, a little bit early there in some parts versus others. And just mentioning the guys, that's, that's probably showing you some things from either your management or soil types and some of that where you've got some root root zone restrictions or something that may be limiting that part of the field from getting the moisture it needs even more than than others so that's probably the biggest concern is just 
on this high heat, what's that doing for our corn crop? What's that doing for what we're doing as far as yield potential? Is there anything happening there? And I, I don't know necessarily if, if we've got much to worry about there. What do you think, Wyatt? Right now, I think it's mostly just defensive mechanism. You know, it's really not really hurting the yield, but if the forecast holds, it looks like it can be pretty pretty hot and dry for a little while. So some of those spots that you said, you know, maybe have some, some, some root issues, maybe some compaction zones out there, I think they may start to suffer a little bit with this, this yeah. high heat and this dry weather. So I think it's something to be mindful of, especially those tough areas. So, Wyatt, I want to dig into this just a little bit more. I know that Jamie mentioned leaf rolling earlier, and I've seen that quite a bit already in the past day and a half or so. Pretty prevalent in some fields. What does that mean? What's going on in that plant? Yeah, so when that corn leaf first starts to roll, it's really just trying to to conserve water. It's closing the stomata off there, so it it loses less through transpiration and keeping more of the water in the plant. You know, it's really a defensive mechanism at this time. It doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be high any yield loss associated with that, but it's just trying to, to weather the drought. Yeah, that's a great way to put it there, weather the drought. So thinking about seeing plots, sometimes you can see some hybrids do it sooner than others. And I've gotten reps and customers ask me, you know, well, is it because that hybrid does a better job of sensing this? And is it the smart one because it's rolling sooner? versus one that's rolling later. And then at the end of the year, when we get these dry, hot spells, a lot of times you you may not notice much of a difference between the two based on that alone. You know, at the end of the day, there just becomes a difference in that point within genetics on when they're going to start wilting like that and and start that uh, defensive mechanism. Pioneer's Aquamax hybrids do have a little bit of selection in there for them to delay that wilting point. And so in high drought scenarios which is what those types of products are bred for that does help us keep that photosynthesis engine running a little bit better if you think about when that leaf rolls up it's not as big of a solar panel it's not capturing as much sunlight when it starts kind of shutting down the stomata and we're trying to slow down how much water we're losing it's slowing the rest of the engine down but at this point in the season we don't necessarily worry so much about it because our factory's not there yet we're not filling the year. We're not setting starches in there and, and trying to make yield from that standpoint. We're really just trying to build the factory to get there. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it at this point. If you're seeing in one, you're not seeing in another. I think it's more of just field-based differences and hybrid-based differences that you're probably noticing, like why I mentioned. So also top of mind right now, in addition to the heat that we're experiencing, is getting things sprayed. So with that said, what do we need to remember when it comes to post-applying that corn? Yeah, so I've got a few guys out there still trying to clean up and and finish up their post-corn applications. So thinking about that and avoiding that phytotoxicity response, so basically that burning that you can get in those high heat, high sunlight type of situations, the first thing would be to increase your water volume from, you know, let's say if you're in that 10 or 12 gallon per acre, jump up to 15 or maybe even 20 gallons per acre. If you're still utilizing atrazine, you know, obviously you got to follow the atrazine label and stay within your growth stage or height restrictions there. But reducing that rate, um, let's say from a quart to a pint per acre, just to try to lessen the blow on your corn crop, but also you got to kind of balance the line. You don't want to go too too low and, and reduce your efficacy on, on your weed control there. 
Change formulation of atrazine from a liquid to a dry can also help you from a crop response scenario. And then consider using like a non-ionic surfactant, NIS, at, you know, a quarter percent volume per volume versus like crop oil concentrate or a methylated seed oil, so COC or MSO, which is usually run at like a 1% volume by volume. So, you know, those four and then probably kind of like the last resort would be just adjusting that surfactant rate, I'd be a little more careful with that, uh, just trying to make sure that we got a balance of line here. We, we don't want to go out there and burn the crap out of our crop, but we also want to make sure we eat our weeds killed. So from the corn standpoint, those are probably really like, you know, top four or five points I'd, I'd think about there. What would you say on the soybean side of things, Wyatt? Yeah, so pretty similar situation there. You know, if we can really increase our water volume from that 15 gallon per acre up to that 20 gallon per acre, I think would be ideal. You know, again, considering using that, that nionic surfactant at that quarter percent volume of volume over that COC or the MSO, uh, again, would be ideal. And then, of course, as you said, you know, that last resort is, is going to be adjusting that surfactant rate. If, if our beans aren't flowering yet, we can still handle a pretty good burn and still be just fine. So... Just be aware of that we got we got to control the weed still, so don't don't give up weed control to save a little burn on the leaf. Good point. Yeah, I definitely don't want to sacrifice the weed control and have to come back and deal with that again. Good reminders there, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Shifting gears just a little bit, what are you all hearing about in-season applications of nitrogen? Yeah, Abby, that's a great question thinking about some of these field apps that are going on out there so for really the last two weeks a lot of side dress and top dress nitrogen applications happen in west central missouri we've gotten some pretty timely rains on some of those early applications our nitrogen monitoring model has shown that that we've definitely got some loss potential out there and so guys are trying to address that but obviously we look at the forecast and rain trance is starting to dwindle off. Uh, guys starting to ask me questions. I'm sure Wyatt probably getting some of the same questions is if we if we don't get these rain chances this week, things don't look necessarily real great for us to get some in the next week or so. What sort of protection can we get with with different products out there in regards to top dress nitrogen? Yeah, Jamie, I've had quite a few questions about that exact topic and a lot of guys know with urea, you know, the potential volatilizes is pretty high. You know, so we think of things like Agritain or, or Super U to help provide some protection. But that's really going to get you up to maybe 14 days of increased protection out there before it's going to start to volatilize as well. So, you know, it's it, it's certainly going to help, but it, it's still a gamble uh, if we don't get that rain. Um, you know, we have some heavy dews right now. It really isn't going to do enough to get that into the soil. We need about a quarter inch or even up to a half inch of, of rain to really get that into the soil profile where the crop can actually take it up. Yeah, and I think, you know, thinking about the protection, thinking about, you know, we already see in our model that we have, especially in certain areas, pretty high loss potential. So we're going to need it. I, I think if it's from a standpoint of do I put it on or do I not, a lot of places we've, we've closed the row, you know, so I feel pretty good about we're not going to get as much direct sunlight. I want it protected for sure. Guys are throwing stuff out there with ammonium nitrate and AMS. You got a little more protection in certain other forms too. Um, but again, we still need to get it into the plant. And so I would say I'd rather have it out there than not. But let's say we don't get these rain chances or, or you don't trust the weatherman. You know, how late is too late? So, you know, the ground rig, like Wyatt and I were talking about before this, we started recording the show, you're not going to get uh, a lot of opportunity with how rapid this growth's going on right now. 
there's not a lot of time there for us to probably continue to clear this with a ground rig perspective. So then you're thinking about from an aerial application and the cost there. But, you know, something that we've mentioned in previous episodes, work that Pioneer's done at the University of Illinois, showing that even in situations where we've delayed that side dress nitrogen timing all the way up to R3 and still seeing no difference, say, between putting that same side dress out there at like V6 or V8. And so, again, there's a lot of variables. Like White mentioned, you got to get the rainfall to get it, to get it in soil. we got to get it in the root zone. And so even at that late of the game, you would still need those type of scenarios to help you, but there is an opportunity. You could wait a little bit if you want a little bit better forecast. So Jamie mentioned a bit or alluded to our nitrogen monitoring tool. Wyatt, do you want to touch on that just a bit more? Yeah. So what he was talking about is our granular nitrogen modeling tool, uh, which is a really good tool that it helps us kind of see what's going on out there on, on a field by field basis. And we can see, the variable rain we've had out there, we can really see what's going on. You take several variables into account. You actually determine the total pounds of nitrogen we expect to have by tassel uh, so we know how much that corn is going to need uh, by the end of the season. So uh, if you guys are interested in that tool, I'd really recommend you to reach out to your, your sales representative, your pioneer sales representative, or your local territory manager, or, or even agronomist. All right. Lots of good topics discussed yet here today. But uh, as we wrap up, any last minute concerns or call outs from either of you? Yeah, I had a, a few calls this week actually regarding some hail damage we had that went through last week. So there was a couple of storm systems that came through and had some fairly good sized damage in some small pockets. You know, total acres affected were actually pretty low, but it really isn't uncommon for us to have hail damage throughout the summer. So just keep in mind, the stage of the growth really is going to determine how much damage is out there. Fortunately for us, you know, the corn I was looking at, it was actually V5 or smaller. And so really that growing point is still below the ground at that at, at V5. So it really wasn't much concern as far as yield loss. And even later in the season, you know, you'd be surprised at how much a tattered leaf could still photosynthesize uh, and really not cause a lot of yield loss. So just it can look really bad at times, but uh, it, it, it may not be as bad as it seems. So just keep in mind there is some charts out there that the USDA has out there. Uh, they actually kind of give you an actual yield loss potential by, by leaf removal. And so take a look at that. The other question I often get when it comes to that hail damage on corn is, is should I apply a fungicide? And, and honestly, if you think about our fungal pathogens, they don't need a wound to get into that leaf uh, like some of our bacterial diseases do. So honestly, keep with your normal spray schedule with a fungicide application and don't, don't add it because of the hail damage. Yeah, that's a great point, Why It seems like uh, anytime we get a large hail event, guys always worry a little bit about the plant health of that crop and, and what the impact is. There's some great resources like those hail charts you mentioned, and then always seems like the, the crop protection folks, they're trying to give you something that you can do about it, which is nice. We, lo- we love to have an action that we can do other than just look at the crop and, and watch it recover, but haven't found or seen any data that suggests that uh, there's any real ROI on putting that fungicide out there after a hail event. I will mention too, so I've had some hail as well um, on the soybean size. The, the soybeans did take a little bit harder, in, at least in my neck of the woods, with some of the quarter size hail and a little bit larger. But again, it just comes back to uh, at this stage of the game on such small soybeans, just looking at what we got left from a stand perspective, you know, the factory as far as the leaves and stuff that are there now. Are, are not necessarily the leaves that are going to help us drive yield later. So really just looking at it from a stand aspect and why it's dead on. Uh, it's quite impressive what we can get as far as yield potential out of a corn crop or soybean crop that's been tattered from, from hail. So just something that 
we got to deal with in Missouri, at least across the state. There's always going to be a few pockets every summer where we can get some hail events. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate the insights yet again today. But more importantly, thank you all for tuning in and listening. If you have any questions or concerns or topics that you'd like to hear us discuss throughout the growing season, uh, our contact information will be in the show notes. So please don't hesitate to reach out. We want to make sure that you are getting the information and the content that is relevant to you right now. Of course, tune in to more podcasts like this one by searching Missouri Pioneer Agronomy anywhere you find your podcast. We will chat with you later and see you in the field. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.